0: We're so thankful you've chosen to tune in on whatever platform you're using, whether Podbean or through Facebook or iTunes. Whatever way you're listening, I just want to say thank you for joining in. We'd love to hear from you, so drop a comment to us or email us at thegrove267 at gmail.com. If you want to know more about us as a ministry, go to hisgrove.com, or you can also check us out on Facebook at Deeply Rooted Ministries in Canton, Texas. We believe God wants to use these messages to spread his truth to a needy world, but primarily a needy church, which needs the truth of the word to resurrect among us so that heaven's army will be equipped to win souls and train them up in the Lord. Jesus said if we know the truth, it will set us free. So help us to bring freedom to people's lives by sharing these messages in any way you can. Now to our podcast. Welcome to my uh, podcast channel, Uh, those who are listening maybe for the first time, or those who have uh, joined us on multiple occasions, or have maybe even from the beginning, Um, just welcome, and um, I'm I'm excited to go through these next sections, and and part of me even kind of relieved even to be on the um, tail end of the Romans 8, Romans 9 passages, because I, I will be very honest, like I talked about in those Um, podcast that I did on that. On the surface, just on their own, as a standalone chapter, there are some things to take away from that that it can be rather confusing. Um, When it is applied to the rest of Scripture seems to make a whole lot more sense. And hopefully we were able to kind of navigate through that and the Spirit was able to give us understanding and open our eyes to be able to see some things of how the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man find um, their harmony to unlock the treasures of heaven, um, both the wisdom and the grace that God gives and extends to us through Jesus Christ. So we're going to get into chapter 10. I'm just going to tell you the very beginning of this kind of sums up a lot of what uh, Paul's message is in chapter 8 and 9. In the past tense of the Jews under the old covenant of God's predestined plan to bring about the person of Jesus Christ and the plan for then after him, everyone to, who would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And so um, 10 and 11, I would encourage you guys to make sure that You listen to the podcast of chapter 10 and chapter 11 together. I'm not going to do them together because it will take too long. uh, But I would encourage you, highly encourage you to listen to 10 and 11 together. Because 10 and 11 go hand in hand together. They can't really be understood apart from one another. Um, And so we're going to get into this in chapter 10 verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Now this goes... Um, back into a little bit of what Paul was even talking about in chapter 9 when he says, uh, verse 2, that I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's referencing the unbelieving Jews, and he's talking about how everything that took place under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament... Happened as a result not only of God's sovereignty and his plan to bring about Jesus Christ, but also the rebellion of the Jews against God and his plan to bring about Christ. And those two things work together, as I talked about with Pharaoh, about how you can look in Exodus chapter 8, I think it was verse 15 that talked about it, where it said that Pharaoh, when he saw that God's hand was lifted, he hardened his heart against God. But we also see God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So there's this mutual exchange happening between man and between God that was bringing about the will of God. Um, And the same thing happens for good or bad. You could harden your heart against God um, and God bring about bad or When your will is subjected to the good things that God wants us to do, then it brings about the blessings of God. And God made that even clear in the law and in the New Testament. Um, So like in John 13, to give an example, um, Jesus is washing the feet of the apostles and he says in John 13, I think it's somewhere, um, well it's towards the beginning, I'm going to say it's around 15-ish, somewhere in that that range, he says, I have given you an example so that Essentially, if you do as I have done unto you, you will be blessed. And then he says, and you will be blessed in your doing. When we do what God wants us to do, God responds. And you can find that concept all throughout scripture that God, the if and then. That's why I titled that previous podcast, If and Then. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If you seek me, you will find me. If you return to me, I will return to you. And so the concept is always the if and then. If we do our part, God will be faithful to uphold his end. And I talked about that a lot in chapter 8 and chapter 9. And it's no different moving forward. He says, my, desire, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Referencing the Jews who are not in Christ. all right, Those who are formerly God's people under the old covenant. Paul says, These are my kinsmen according to the flesh. I love these guys. And I want them to be saved. And I believe God's heart wants them to be saved. And he goes on, he says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. It's just not according to knowledge. I mean, how many people do you know might have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge? They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. It makes me think of Apollos. Apollos was this guy that was brought up in Alexandria. He learned the, the, um, the scriptures through the Septuagint. He was a guy that had a very thorough knowledge of the Old Testament, and when he got converted and saved, he began preaching, though all he knew was the Old Testament. And he was preaching fervently, he had a zeal. But then Aquila and Prisca came after one of his times of preaching, and they explained to him more thoroughly the gospel. You see, is a, a dude who had the zeal, he just didn't have the full knowledge. And God wasn't condemning him because he was out there preaching with zeal and he just didn't have the knowledge. He patiently brought people into his life to help bring him unto the fullness of that knowledge. So that zeal could be coupled with knowledge. But right now, these Jews, they have a zeal for God, but they are not saved. You think about it with Cornelius. Cornelius had a zeal for God. But he wasn't saved. Lydia, the seller of purple goods, had a zeal for God, but she wasn't saved. People can be out there and they can have a zeal for God and not be saved. Because there's only one way to the Father. And that is through the person of Jesus Christ. These Jews are not saved. And Paul understands that. And he says, but I want them to be. A heart desire is for them to be saved. But right now, I know that if they were to die today, they would be condemned to an eternal misery in hell. And I want to change that. Believer, do do you feel that for people that you know are not saved? Do you and I weep for souls? It seems that Paul did. He says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, meaning that they would become the self-righteous, they did not submit to God's righteousness because now his righteousness has been um, offered and made available apart from the law of Moses through faith in Jesus Christ. It's no longer about finding a righteous standard, a righteous requirement to the law. It talks about, as we're about to read in verse four, that well, let me just read it. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. To everyone who believes. It is no longer the righteous standard. It is no longer the standard by which we live by. It is no longer that which governs us. As I've talked about at length. In previous podcasts throughout Romans. That I am no longer under the law of Moses. It is no longer my master. As Galatians 3 says. No longer my guardian or my school teacher. Because now faith in Christ has come. And I belong to another. So I have died to that which held me captive. So that... I may belong to another. If you have not died to the law of Moses, understanding that it is no longer the righteous requirement of God because it has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, then you might not even belong to Jesus because it says that I have died to that which held me captive, referencing the law of Moses, in order or so that I may belong to another. And so the premise that is um, being given and being extended right here to us is that we have got to make sure that our relationship to the law of Moses has changed when we come into Jesus Christ. If that has not changed, then there is a very high chance that you do not belong to him. Because that's what scripture teaches. So he says, Christ is the end of the law. You are not going to get your righteous standing before God by your works of the law of Moses. I don't care if it's the Ten Commandments, go read Second Corinthians chapter 3, because that is specifically about the Ten Commandments. It's the ministry of death carved in letters on stone. What was that? That was the Ten Commandments. It says, that which once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. This is what Paul's trying to state here. He says, look, they have a zeal for God. They want to go and they want to keep the law that was given by Moses. They want to keep those things, and they have a zeal for it, but they don't understand. This is why Romans 14, in the very beginning, Paul talks about it. We'll get to it in a little bit. He says, look, don't argue with people who are weak in faith. The weak person abstains from the foods that, as 1 Timothy 4 says, God created to be received with thanksgiving. Going back into Genesis chapter 7 and 8, whenever they get off the ark, he tells Noah, he says, look, Everything that moves shall be food for you. I created it to be received with thanksgiving because it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Meaning that the word of God that was then put on the cross has now made it all holy. The law of Moses does not bind you to unclean and clean foods. However, he says, don't argue with the person who doesn't have the knowledge of that. They're weak in faith, they don't have the understanding. So you know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 8? If if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, even though I might have the knowledge to know that I have been freed from the laws under the law of Moses, I'll never eat meat if it makes my brother stumble because then I'm in sin. If giving this podcast to you right now, you have this conviction that you can't eat bacon and pork, I'm not bringing condemnation against you one way or the other. What I'm simply doing is identifying the text to say that your zeal for God and your wanting to obey Him needs to be coupled with the knowledge of Christ and what He has accomplished on that cross. If you want to keep the feast, man, keep the feast if you're doing it in honor of Christ. Because you see that those pointed to Him. If you're not wanting to eat certain foods because it's honoring the Lord, then don't eat certain foods. I I don't care one way or the other. If you want to keep the Sabbath on a Friday night to Saturday night, then keep the Sabbath. I don't care. But I will tell you that the one who has the knowledge of what Christ has accomplished counts every day as holy because He is my Sabbath. He is the rest for my soul and not just my body, but for my soul. And that was not my intent to get into all that, but I think the Lord had other purpose. So whatever that's worth to you, hopefully that you take that, you study that out, and you seek the Lord on that for your own benefit. He goes on in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. Very, very careful to pay attention to this. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Meaning that they shall have their life and their being through their observance and obedience to the law of Moses. You have to do the law of Moses in order to find the life of God. But that's no longer the case. Because he goes on and he talks about it. But, so he's contracting, or he's... eh, Contracting might not be the right word. He's... um, pitting two things against each other here. He says, on one hand, here's how it was under the old. But I'm about to show you what it is under the new. And it's not even the word of God under the law of Moses that we have to adhere to. It's the word of faith through the person of Jesus Christ that we adhere to. It's the law of Christ or the law of liberty that we have been given. No longer the law of Moses. I'd encourage you to go listen to my Galatians podcast, Specifically the ones over 3, 4, 5. And you could go listen to the Romans 7 podcast. I talked about it briefly in that. But you could go listen to my Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10 podcast. My Ephesians 2 podcast. They're all over the place. Because this principle is all over the place. It's something that needs to be understood in the body of Christ today. Because i want to tell you there's a lot of people who are going back to the Old Testament law of Moses. And they are having a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. So he goes on in verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So he's relating this righteousness based on faith on the person of Jesus Christ. And he says a very important thing here. In my estimation as I'm looking at this passage and trying to perceive into it what Paul's intent in trying to write it, I think it goes back to the very beginning of chapter 9. As I read earlier. And how it starts in chapter 10 verse 1. My heart's desire is for them to be saved. The unbelieving Jews. Now in the Old Testament the Jews were God's people. The Gentiles were not. But now in Christ we don't get to say that the Jews are better or the Gentiles are better. I believe that's what he's saying. It's not up for me to decide who gets to go to heaven who doesn't. You're a Jew you get to go. You're a Gentile sorry you don't. I think Peter learned his lesson, right? Whenever Paul rebuked him in the presence of all, an elder unto an elder, and he said, hey, you know what, dude? You're jacking up. You are actually standing condemned. Because you want to live like a Christian apart from some of these things. But then whenever the Gentiles came in, you started showing partiality to the Jews. And he says, you're in sin, dude. You need to repent. Because showing the partiality between a Jew and a Gentile in in the body of Christ is sin. And whenever he talks about this concept, he says, it's not up for us to be able to decide who gets to go and who doesn't get to go. That's not up for us. The only person that I can know for a fact is not going to spend eternity in heaven is the person who up until his dying breath denies Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the only person that I can know. Past that, if somebody does claim that, I don't necessarily know if it's genuine or not. Because what does Matthew 7 talk about? 20 through 21. Many are going to come to me on that last day. And they're going to do many mighty works. Even in my name. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't get to determine who gets to go and who doesn't. That is in God's court. Not mine. And most certainly... I don't get to forbid somebody from getting to go simply because the basis of their ancestry of being a Gentile. That is not what the word of faith that we proclaim in Christ demands. And this is what he goes on to say. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Not the word of the law of Moses. It's the word of faith. It's that which is unending, as Peter talks about it. He says the grass withers and and, and the the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. And then he clarifies that it's not the word of Moses, it's the word of Christ. That remains forever. And I'll tell you, the law of Moses isn't. It doesn't. And it hasn't. For those who come into Christ, they find the work complete. Toward that righteous requirement of the law has now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And when I come into him, the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in me. And now I no longer walk by that which was. I walk in that which is. And that is through the Spirit of God that He has given to me to live out this law of Christ. To love His body as He has loved me. Now that, that might be news, news to you. I, I don't know. But I will tell you it is the truth. And I've gotten in many discussions with people who can't seem to receive that. Despite what the Word of God says. When it says that it's become obsolete. When it says that he abolished the law of commandments expressed through ordinances. Which is not referencing the Talmud. It is referencing the law of Moses. But people can't seem to understand that. Because they don't understand the distinction between that which was and that which is. The natural and the spiritual. The physical and the spiritual. They don't understand what the cross has accomplished. And so as such... Paul is trying to relate to these people this truth. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Let me camp out on that just for a moment. It is not enough to say Jesus is your Savior. It's not enough to believe that Jesus even died. Because notice there's two qualifications here. And it's not simply just... Faith. I know we hear all the time that it's, it's just faith. Anything added to that is work-based. Well, let me just tell you. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. Because the first thing is, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. It is not enough to believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead without the confession. This is why I cannot stand it. When people give a so-called altar call and they say, every head bowed, every eye closed, go ahead. If you want to receive Jesus, if you believe on Him today, just go ahead and slip your hand up. Nobody's looking. Nobody's looking. Just slip your hand up. I see you. I see you. Yeah, now you're saved. I can't stand that. Man, if you can't confess Jesus as Lord in front of people who will rejoice with you, how are you ever going to do it in the people who are going to persecute you? I can't stand it. So thankful that one of the pastors at our church, we did this thing where a guy did that. He was brought in as a guest speaker, and he did that. I'm just sitting there like, Dad, oh man, really? This big men's event, 300 some odd guys that are there, and this, this guy was speaking, and I mean, he had an okay message. I can't say it was something that was just really edified and inspired me. But he gets up at the very end, and he's like, hey, every head bowed, every eyes closed. Nobody's looking. If you want to receive Jesus, just slip your hand up. And I was so thankful that one of our elders went up there, and he was like, hey, guys, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out. Man, if you were one of the ones who raised your hand, or maybe you were one of the ones who wanted to raise your hand, and you didn't, while everybody's looking right here, I want you to stand up. That's a man who understands the cost. Because if you believe in your heart that that God raised Jesus from the dead, that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that death cannot hold Him, and you confess it with your mouth, and you hold, this is a part of it too, and you hold that confession to the end, you will be saved. So that confession initially brings you in holding that confession keeps you in and you're like well nobody's ever told me that before and you know what paul says in second timothy um, when he's writing to timothy it's just paul and timothy his true child in the faith he says if we deny him timmy he will deny us if i don't hold my confession until the end then when I stand before him, he won't say, depart from me, I never knew you. He'll say what he says to the goats in Matthew 25. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know you. And that's actually going to be a very interesting parallel to what we're going to talk about in Romans eleven twenty-two, When it talks about this concept of being cut off. And I'll just go ahead and give you kind of a sneak peek on it. There's a word that's used there for broken off or cut off. And it's the two different words, ecleo or um, ekapto, the two different words that are used. And I'll, I'll dissect that more in Romans 11, so make sure you're listening. But here's what it means. It means to ascend. And you're like, ascend? If you're like me, is like, I had to look up the definition. I don't know what ascend means. I mean, yeah, I don't understand to, to be broken off or to be cut off. That makes sense as a branch unto a tree. But to ascend, i was like, I'm not so sure what that means. Well, here's what ascend means. It means to expel from union. Cleo is the, is the root word of ecleo, and it means this, the breaking of bread or of fellowship. So essentially what it means is, is that if there is a breaking off, or if there is a cutting off, it means that the branch is being separated from union and fellowship with the trunk. It no longer receives the nourishing sap. And, you, and, and I'm, I'm sure there's all kinds of things going through your mind right now. We'll get into that more in chapter 11. I don't want to get too far away from this concept. But I want you to understand that this principle of believing and confessing is one that doing that initially brings you into it. But you must hold the faith and you must keep the confession in order to remain in him to the end. And that's a point that I think that we as the church need to start emphasizing more today. So it goes on and he says to kind of wrap up a little bit of what he talked about previously about how the Jews and the Gentiles, it's no longer about one or the other. It is now about both having equal inclusion through the person of Jesus Christ to be able to have access to the father. And we don't get to say Jews can or Jews can't. We don't get to say Gentiles can or Gentiles can't. God has extended salvation to all, and it is not just simply His elect, as we talked about in Romans 8 and 9. It is not just to some predetermined people in which God has said, I created you for heaven, I created you for hell. It is for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And I want to expound on that even more as we get into chapter 11. And I really and highly encourage you to listen because I've got some scriptures that I'm going to throw at you that I think gives us a full picture of what the, the teaching is in Romans 11 that I think people have missed. He goes on, he says in verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Going back in Isaiah 28, which is a super profound passage that couples along with what Paul's talking about in Romans 8, 9, and 10. Isaiah 28, I encourage you to go look at it. But he says, everyone who believes in Him, whether Jew or Gentile, whoever would submit to Him and put their faith in Him, their trust in Him, will be saved. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Here's the, the premise. Paul's summarizing it. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved doesn't matter if you're jew or greek because the jews are no longer god's people that might be news to you also i don't know israel's no longer god's territory does he still love the jews absolutely does he still have a plan for the jews and even for the nation of israel absolutely but are they his no because the only ones who belong to god are those who belong to christ so if you are not in christ then you are not his people plain and simple To say otherwise is to say that there's another way to belong to God other than through Jesus Christ. But Jesus says definitively and absolutely in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. If you are saying that Jesus or that somebody can belong to God outside of being in Christ, then not only are you a liar... But that would be borderline heresy, if not heresy. Because Jesus says distinctly and absolutely, no one comes to the Father but through me. So the Jews are no longer God's people. They had their chance, but as Luke 13, as I talked about in the previous podcast, Luke 13, 34 through 35 says, they have been forsaken. And that's going to seem contradictory to what he talks about in Romans 11, verse 1, but I'm going to explain that. The premise is, is that Under the old covenant, the Jews' ancestry and lineage of being God's people, his chosen race, his elect, if you will, the choicest, is no more. Now it's anyone who calls in the name of Christ will be saved. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now I think this is fascinating on the heels of Romans 8 9. Because Paul's asking a question that seemingly, if I'm a Calvinist, he's already answered in Romans 8 9. It doesn't matter if anyone's preaching this, it doesn't matter if anyone's um, going out there um, doing the work of ministry and preaching the gospel. It doesn't matter. God already has his predetermined. What does it matter? He seemingly has already answered that. So, why would he be posing these questions again if a Calvinistic viewpoint was correct? Instead, he seems to be saying, guys, how are the Jews, the unbelieving Jews and even the unbelieving Gentiles, throw them in, how are they going to believe unless somebody's out there preaching the message? Because it's not just going to be God who draws them. You have a part to play in this too, Christian. It makes absolutely zero sense for Paul to say, you know what, it's just some predetermined elect that God wants them to be saved, and so they're going to get saved despite what you and I do. We can't jack it up. God's going to do it regardless. And the person who he's condemned to hell and he's created to go to hell, well, you know what? You can't jack that up either. You can't change it. It's not going to happen. But he seems to say contrary here. It's like, how are they going to believe unless somebody's out there preaching? He goes on, he says, and how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, when a person is going to believe, there is this mutual exchange of God's drawing them through the message that you and I will preach to them. And when there's this submission to that word, there becomes the inclusion in God. But it is a mutual thing. It is not only just God it is God making his appeal to the world through us as second corinthians 5 says God doesn't necessarily need us but he chooses to use us as part of the equation what i just stated is completely uncalvinistic and yet it's written So you have to be able to determine, if you are more so of a Calvinistic trained way of thinking, you have to determine which are you going to listen to. Your comfort and what you've been trained in through the words of man, of a man named John Calvin who lived 400 years ago, or the words of God. In which the words of God have to be congruent with one another in order to ascertain truth. So he says very plainly, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. He says, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. He's talking about the unbelieving Jews, the Israelites. He says, indeed they have heard. Because the choice still rests with the individual. There needs to be the drawing of God. There needs to be the message of man given from God of the word of Christ to man. But man still has a choice. There's still free will involved. He talks about it. He says, Have they not heard? And did they have? For their voice has gone out to all the earth and the words to the ends of the earth. But I asked, did Israel not understand? So was it that they just didn't understand what they heard? He says, first Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. of the foolish nation, I'll make you angry, talking about the Gentiles. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me, referencing the Gentiles. The Gentiles, all part of God's plan, the Gentiles are to be included in salvation through Christ. In order to make the Jewish people jealous, to say, wait a second. That commonwealth and those promises, those used to be ours. And for some it's going to make them jealous unto anger and resentment and bitterness. And some it's going to break them. Unto salvation. A salvation or a a godly sorrow that leads to salvation as Paul puts it. They're going to realize what they had. And they're going to realize what they let go of. And as Romans eleven twenty three talks about, God has the power to include them again because he has now offered salvation to Jew and Gentile. His hand is still outstretched to them. But the Gentile's time has now come in. And God says, just as Paul did, I see how God has the same heart. When Paul talked about how he went to the Jews and he got so flustered and frustrated and disappointed and discouraged and angry with them. that he's like, fine, I'll take this message to the Gentiles, people who haven't heard of it. Because you guys continue to harden your heart against it. So I'm going to take it to the Gentiles. And I think God did the same thing. He got tired of extending his arm to the Gentiles through the old covenant. So he said, fine, I'm going to take my message to the Gentiles and I'm going to give the person of Jesus Christ so that they can come in and receive access unto heaven and to the grace that I'm offering and extending to them. And in my hope, I'm going to try to make the Jews jealous. And yes, I believe that is the hope of God. And you're like, well, you just eliminated his sovereignty. No, I didn't. I think God chooses when he is going to be sovereign over all things and when he doesn't. And I think there's even times in the Old Testament that his lack of sovereignty is expressed. And you're like, well, this sounds like heresy. You're saying that God's not, you know, able to... Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying because that's what the Word says. In Genesis chapter 6, it says that he repented or he regretted that he made man. You answer to me how that is God's full expression of sovereignty. How can God... In a full expression of sovereignty in all things, at all times, in all ways, ever repent or regret anything. And you're like, well, that's an isolated case, obviously. Okay, so when Saul was made king by God's hand, it says, I believe, in First Samuel 15, it's somewhere in that range of 10 through 17. Because that's the story of where Saul is. Where it says that God regretted or repented that he made Saul king. Answer me that. In no way am I saying that God doesn't have sovereignty. In no way am I saying that God's not omniscient or omnipresent. What I am saying is that there are examples in scripture where I believe that God chooses to not be sovereign. And I think this concept applies. He says in verse 21 to kind of wrap this up. But of Israel he says, so again there's that... Um, distinction that he's making about the Jews or the Gentiles that he was found by those who didn't seek him under the old covenant, the Gentiles didn't seek after God but now that Christ is here he is now offered to those who didn't even seek him, he's offered to them salvation and they found it and he says but of Israel, he says all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people and the extension of that is that they wouldn't listen which is what Luke thirteen thirty four says when Jesus says Jerusalem Jerusalem the city of the stones of the prophets and kills those who are sent to it how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood but you were not willing so you see all through chapter 10 is Paul's heart for the Jews of saying I still love these guys and I want them to be saved but I understand that the only way into salvation is through the word of Christ And I don't get to determine if a Gentile or Jew gets to get in. Because I know God's hand is still extended to both. And that's where Romans 11 picks up. And so my encouragement in all these things. And what we're talking about in Romans chapter 10 is to understand this. It is the word of Christ that brings a person unto salvation. And it is both the drawing of God. And the inclusion of man within that drawing. As his hands and his feet. Very clearly in Second Corinthians 5, it says, God making his appeal to the world through us. And so, we'll pick up chapter 11. I'm hopefully, hopefully going to get that done here in just a second. I'll start it as I kind of read over it and look at it some. Um, just kind of see what highlighted points I want to make. Um, I'm excited about it, but I'm going to tell you, if there are some things in this one that you're like, man, that was some heavy stuff. Just wait till chapter 11. Y'all be blessed.